great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in today's Clark Rage uh, proposal to allow people to drive monster tractor-trailer trucks as teenagers. And coming up yet later, the ads are everywhere for DNA testing. What happens with the results of your DNA tests? Who can see them? And what are your rights to protect your privacy? We're going to talk that through. And I just want to tell you, watching the slow motion disaster unfold in the Carolinas was so upsetting. The loss of life, the loss of property, uh, obviously loss of property, nothing like loss of life, but so many people are going to have a very rough road ahead rebuilding. And in a situation like this, we always see the best in humanity and occasionally the worst. The best. What about all these volunteers that have come in from other places in the country and throughout the Carolinas to aid and assist people who were trapped by rising floodwaters? Who knows how many lives have been saved by brave volunteers? And that goes without even saying all the first responders, all the uniform services that have been on the scene working endless hours trying to see to the public's well-being and safety with rising floodwaters. And what a force multiplier the volunteers have represented. And that's outstanding. Now, on the other side of the ledger, every time we have a major hurricane Before you know it, the scammers come out of the woodwork trying to steal your money from your generous heart that you want to donate to those who have suffered from the hurricane and the resultant flooding from what has become a tropical, it's called tropical depression at this point, tropical storm, whatever Florence is called now. And I want you to be very, very mindful of the scams that do appear. In fact, there is a, um, there's actually a place called the National Center for Disaster Fraud where you can go to their website and report if you think there's a scammer trying to steal money for what they're pretending is for storm relief to aid victims. Because that's how much of a problem it is after any highly publicized storm earthquake, uh, tornado, hurricane, whatever, any large natural disaster, the criminals come out of whatever place they emerge from and try to steal your money. So go with places that you know you can trust either because you have personal knowledge or you can give to the Red Cross, you can give to United Way, You can go any of a number of directions with how you donate, where you donate. Be very careful with any GoFundMe page. The danger with any GoFundMe page is that the people operating it, it may be a ruse. They may just be stealing money, pretending they're collecting for someone. 
my attitude with GoFundMe pages is only give money to one that is for someone you were directly connected to, close to, you know who's organizing it, who's handling it. Otherwise, stay away from giving any money in the aftermath of the hurricane and the resulting floods any other way except to an organization you know or directly to an individual you know. But some fly-by-night organization, who knows who's real, who's not, who's going to spend your money efficiently, who's not. Now, there's one other thing that I, I knew this was coming. I talked about it last week, and it didn't make me any kind of genius. It's just the history of these things is that the number of people in North Carolina whose homes have been flooded, who have flood insurance away from the coast, only somewhere, depending on the community, 1% to 3% of people, the most common figure I've heard is 2 out of 100 have flood insurance. Your homeowner's policy does not cover you for a flood. And in areas that have been fast growing, like a lot of urban and suburban areas in North Carolina, where so much tree cover has come down, so much asphalt has been poured, so many buildings have been built, areas that are low-lying that are not federally designated flood zones are much more subject to water runoff and flooding. And that's part of the story in this case. But wherever you live in the country, if you live in a low-lying area subject potentially to heavy rains, to flooding, federal flood insurance is very inexpensive when you are not in a high-risk designated flood zone. Even if you are in a high risk, it's taxpayer subsidized. And this is stuff that's so overlooked. Usually a policy for someone in a low-risk area will be a few hundred dollars to insure your home for a year for up to a quarter million dollars in value. And we have all these uninsured losses, and it just feels awful watching that because the next phase is the really messy phase, the cleanup and rebuilding, and with perhaps 98% of the losses away from the coast being uninsured, this is going to be a terrible, terrible financial event for so many people once the cleanup begins. Tom is with us. And did I mention floodsmart.gov? If I, if I didn't, again, floodsmart.gov is the website you go to for federal flood insurance. Tom is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tom. Hey, Clark. Hi. Thanks for all that you do. Certainly. You have a question for me about your elementary school student. Yeah, you always talk about um, you know, Roth IRAs, and I get looking at it, and I see like the last doubling, you know, is really significant, you know, of the money over time. And I was trying to think of, you know, how much I can help him get in now, because he might get an actual extra doubling, you know, by the time he's old enough to retire, which should be a long time from now. But I don't really have a good way of tracking the work he's done. His his uncle's a landscaper, and he's been working for him, and he does work for his grandmother. And, you know, everybody's willing to help out, but I don't really have a good way of tracking it. And when I look into the documentation required for it, it's ambiguous at best. And I yeah, so you might have some pointers. So generally, there anybody under age 15 who claims earned income 
and establishes a Roth faces extra scrutiny from the IRS. And right. so any income, how old is your elementary school child? He's only eight. Eight years old. You have your eight-year-old son out working. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah, eight. He doesn't know any better. He's just supposed to be goofing off. Yeah, well, he's you know his his uncle's a landscaper, and they've got all the equipment, and he's just been you know going around with them. But this year, he's old enough to kind of keep himself out of harm's way, and he helps with cleanups, and he just likes doing it. I don't. And really does your uncle pay him? Yeah, but I don't. I don't really. I have any like tracking, you know. What all I'm right. Saying? So that's what you want to do. You've got a few months of the year left now, and so and your uncle. I mean, his uncle can even your your brother. Um. Well, he's technically he's my cousin, but okay. Well, whatever he is to older. to your eight year old, he's like an uncle. I mean, if yeah. he if he pays them and reports it, then you got no issue at all. If he pays him less than six hundred dollars a year, which may be where he is at eight years old, right. then your uncle, uh, your your cousin doesn't have to report it, but. Your son should keep records, or you should keep records, every time he gets paid. And it can be as simple as having a simple piece of paper where on this day, your son worked these many hours and made this much money. Oh, perfect. And so you just keep that record for for a good long time so that if there ever was a question, did he have real earned income, you've got that. Okay. And so uh, you're son can open a Roth IRA now with Fidelity Investments with no minimum. I did that. It was just about funding. Actually, I asked them, and, and I, I don't know if they were unclear, and they said I could just put the money in, and then she put me on hold and come back and said, well, it looks like there's more to it. And so I, I couldn't find any good answers is why I called you. So. All right, so with, with Schwab, you need 100 bucks. Schwab, you need 100 with Fidelity under their new rules, you don't need any minimum. And so you can establish a, a custodial Roth IRA. You're the mm-hmm. owner of the Roth for benefit of your eight-year-old. And then yep. he will have his money growing over the years. And as he does jobs over these years, then the money he earns is money that can go in the Roth and grow tax-free and get that doubling you're talking about. For people who aren't aware of what we're talking about, a relatively uh, normal investment profile will double every nine to ten years. Yeah, and the difference in putting away, say, say you only saved ten grand in your whole life. If you put that ten grand in at twenty, versus putting the ten grand in at forty, which is more where I'm at. I mean, when you get to seventy, I mean, and you do the math on it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, isn't it amazing? So you're doing a great thing. Yeah, I don't plan to tell him. I figure whatever he made, I'll match. Because, I mean, he's done a pretty good job of doing what eight-year-olds do. No, you can't money, do that. You I can't can... put in more in a year than what he's earned. I can't put in more, but I can match what he's made and maybe already spent, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why i got to figure out how much it is. Because if he had still had it, like, like if he was a great saver at eight, it'd be even better, right? Yeah, but, uh, I, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> Three kids, each with their own way in my family with how they handle money. And so it's a hard thing to teach kids to be disciplined and save, just like it is with adults, isn't it?
Garth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Garth. Hi, Clark. It's uh, wonderful to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. And you have an unusual question for me about a way to save money on gasoline. Yeah, there's a local gas uh, station in the area, and they offer a discount if you sign up for the loyalty program. So I say, why not? And I got to the part where they wanted uh, your driver's license number, and I uh, hit the brakes then. Okay, I can Uh, explain. Okay. They want your driver's license number. Uh, This is a convenience store chain, uh, if I remember right, that's doing this promotion in uh, the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. Is that right? Yes. All right. So um, they require your driver's license because if you happened to pay at the pump using your card, getting the $0.10 a gallon discount. They're trying to get you to link it to a checking account or debit card and pay that way because the $0.10 a gallon, they they can give you that discount because they're not having to pay all the merchant fees for a credit card. The, the Having your driver's license number is in the event that you were to fill up later, it turns out that your uh, payment is returned and they don't get the money and you're what they call in the industry a drive-off. Uh-huh. And so with the driver's license, they're able to track you down and get their money. So they want to link it to a checking account instead of a credit card account, huh? Exactly. Uh-huh. It's usually how these programs work. And then the driver's license is just because if somehow they don't get paid through that process, they know who to come after. Okay. Because I was thinking that all they needed was a credit card number, but that's not what they want. That's not what they're after. They're after being able to come after you if they end up getting stiff, they end up getting no money. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something very important to me, and that is we lose, unfortunately, so many lives on the road every year in the United States. And in the U.S., truckers are under enormous pressure to stay on the road and get there as quickly as possible, the way we compensate truckers in the United States. It's a brutal job, massive turnover in the industry. The turnover now is above 50% of people leave the job each year. And so the trucking industry is desperate to find more truckers. And that has led to legislation that I read about in the Kansas City Star that would allow 18-year-olds people who are just really learning to drive themselves to drive tractor-trailer trucks. This is completely clark and is just wrong, wrong, wrong. Now, I go a complete opposite direction on trucking. I believe that we should adopt the international system of extremely tight speed limits on truckers, that truckers are pushed into the far right lane, that truckers are paid per hour and not per job, and that we remove the incentives for truckers to drive too many hours and to be too aggressive and too fast on the road. Now, I've seen over and over again that we, as people in passenger vehicles, create a lot of danger on the road 
and I watch people cut off tractor-trailer trucks, tailgate tractor-trailer trucks, pull directly in front of one, and create real danger for yourself, the trucker, and people all around you on the road. No doubt that that's true. But no one wins a competition with a tractor-trailer truck. The things are massive. They are roughly 20 yards long. And to have teenagers legally put behind the wheel with commercial driver's licenses is the wrong answer to the problem. And if we need more truckers and people leave the profession in such large numbers, the nature of the work needs to change to attract more people as well as to pay them more money. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I want to talk about something that has come up on the show many times over the last two to three years, and that is doing the DNA testing. The ads are virtually continuous on TV for the two bigs, 23andMe and Ancestry.com. And the question is, where does this information go? Who has access to it? And what's the risk? I want to revisit something that I discussed back in the spring, and that is the, the ability of the insurance industry to use or misuse your genetic information. So uh, there's a law that was passed last decade, 10 years ago right now, called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. And when this law was passed back 10 years ago, it looked at health insurers using your DNA to refuse you health insurance. And it also made it illegal for an employer to use your DNA, your genetics, to deny you employment. And that's because at the time, that's where the concern was. Today, when you think about how this law needs to be amended, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act is to prevent life insurers from being able to do genetic testing on you and calculate a risk. Can you imagine how much the actuaries at life insurance companies are chomping at the bit to have your genetic information in order to be able to write a custom premium for you based on genetics? The thing is about this is that even if something is found to be something that you may have an enhanced risk of, it doesn't mean you're going to have it. Historically, life insurance has set premiums based on your current medical condition or prior conditions you've had. But for the life insurance industry to be able to set premiums based on what might happen to you, based on DNA, is something that freaks me out and should not be. Now, the industry 
has not gone this direction yet that I'm aware of, but think of all the uses. It could be for any kind of living benefit as well. Imagine a disability insurance company saying, well, well, this shows you've got a greater likelihood of having blah, 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 so we're not going to write a disability policy for you. Or long-term care insurance. You know, I've disclosed on the air that my 23andMe test shows that I have an enhanced risk of having Alzheimer's, uh, particularly at age 85 or later, I have a 51% risk of having Alzheimer's. I think the general population risk is more like one in four, one in three, somewhere in there. So I've got a bigger risk. So imagine long-term care insurers saying, well, we're not going to write a long-term care policy on you because... And then life insurers could say, well, you've got a greater chance of a heart attack, so we're not going to write one on you. (laughs) Before you know it, we're all uninsurable. So just know, oh, one little annex. When you do those tests that you see advertised so heavily on TV, what can those companies do with the test results? Pretty much anything they want. And there's only a voluntary uh, code of conduct in the industry as to what will happen with the information. Uh, The two bigs, 23andMe and Ancestry, are both part of that. But before you would give your saliva sample to any of these testing organizations, you want to read what they would do with the information they have from you and how your privacy is protected and what right you have to have your information removed from their database. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, John. You have a very common aggravation going on in your life right now. Share with your fellow listener. Yeah, sure. So I received a notification um, a couple weeks ago from Credit Karma that I actually had an account in collections, and I thought this was very weird. I'd never been sent to collections before, and uh, the notification stated that um, the company who had sent me to collections um, was actually a medical lab, uh, an independent medical lab that one of my doctor's office uses. Um, I thought it was very odd. I never received any notification that I owed the lab anything, yet alone I was delinquent or I was even sent to collections. So I did some investigating and contacted all the parties involved, and Well, long story short, uh, it turns out that the lab who had sent me to collections, um, they never deleted my old address from their files, and that was the address that they were sending the bills to. Um, Subsequently, that address, that address that they had actually, um, was the one that they forwarded onto the collections agency as well. So not only did I not receive any notification from the lab, but the collections agency was not able to contact me either. So I ended up sending the account with the collections agency, and uh, The medical lab uh, actually admitted fault to this, um, but the damage actually was done to my credit score um, about to the tune of about almost 70 points, actually. Um, So generally, uh, depending on which scoring model is being used, uh, medical debt that has been paid generally will not affect your credit standing moving forward. How long has it been since you reached the deal to pay the bill to the collection agency? It's been about three weeks now. All right. So it would be more time before you'd see a change if one's going to reflect in your score, reflect in it. 
But what should happen in a case like this is the lab is the one that needs to uh, affect the the process of having the item removed from your credit report. So what you do is you dispute it with the credit bureau, and at the same time you contact the lab again and say you've disputed this with the credit bureau and you want the item pulled back from being posted on your credit report. Sure. And I would have told you if you called me before you reached a deal with the collection agency, I would have encouraged you to not give any money to the collection agency until they agreed in writing that they would remove it as a collection item on your report. Ah, okay. I tried arguing that. They told me the the account was going nowhere unless I'd settle it with them. So I figured at the time I might as well get this settled now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the old lie that collection agencies tell. So okay. remember, the what you have, the power you have is the money they want. So the deal you reach is always before you paid money. Sure. So how old was the debt? How long had it been actually on your credit report at the time that it lowered your score 70 points? Yeah, so it actually it was about six months old, um, apparently, that this debt was sent to the collections agency, and it had just reflected in my report about a month ago. Okay, so under the, the new rules, that fits the new rules. But again, since you were never billed, which is a common thing with medical, you should be persistent, politely persistent, but be very persistent with calls and letters to get this item you can request it be suppressed. You can ask that it be removed. But the best thing to ask for is that the item be removed. Great. And that should be directly with the credit bureaus? No. You, you dispute it with the credit bureaus, and that starts a 30-day period where the item will not factor into your credit score. And that's the time period that you also work really hard with the lab and also with the um, collection agency. And one thing I would recommend with the lab, in addition to contacting them, file a complaint against the lab with the Better Business Bureau at bbb.org. And so pressure, as many pressure points as you can apply, is what gets it done. There is no, like, do this step one, do this step two, do this step three, and poof, the item vanishes. You do all these things not knowing okay. which one is the uh, is the pressure point that gets your credit cleaned up. Sure. Well, thank you very much, Clark. I appreciate your time. Sure. And the reason the rules were changed and the way the newest credit scoring models work is pretty much somewhere close to half of all items that end up as collections on credit reports are medical bills and often... It's because of bills never received, bills going to a wrong address, things like this, that you end up looking like a deadbeat. And because of that, that's why medical bills are treated in a separate category in the newest scoring models from other bills once paid. Charlie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Clark. Um, Yeah, so... um my wife and I are looking at possibly buying our first home and uh, we have a daughter and we have a lot picked out and I would like to buy a house that's already built 
uh, a little, a lot cheaper, and she's more uh, wanting to buy this lot and build a house on it. No. And, uh, <laughs> oh, have her call me. I will tell her every reason in the world that uh, she may be right about everything else in life, but yep. this one she's not. <laughs> okay. Okay. And that's wow. I'm trying to yeah slow you know I'm trying to slow everybody down and just have everybody involved. Hey, let's look at these numbers. And uh, the last thing I want to do is overpay for land and then build a house on it and not have it you know be worth that. And you know it is the house that we'd want to live in probably the rest of our lives. And the schools are great in the area, and that's very important to us. And the location is growing, and it's in between all of our jobs and. But, you know, so it's perfect, part, yeah. except <laughs> the yeah. except is you don't want to put yourself in a situation where the two of you are anxious because of the money you have to come up with every month to create this perfect house. That's exactly it. And and I worry yeah. that if she lost her job, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to afford it on just my salary without getting some help. And her parents say they would help us. And I really yeah. appreciate that. But. You know, it's a so the parents are enablers pouring gasoline on this new home fire, huh? <laughs> That's exactly right, and it's exploding right in my lap. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, normally I say happy wife, happy life, but mm-hmm. this is an exception to that, too. Building a house sticks up on land you own is not for the faint of heart. Things always take longer and cost more than you suspect, and it's much more expensive to build a one-off home versus one that's in a uh, neighborhood of production building where they're building one and another and another and another. Is this a production build neighborhood where you buy a lot or is this land where it would just be your house being built? It, production. There, there's homes there and there's other free lots that are, are going to be built on. So yeah. if it's a production builder, it's not as risky as I thought you were leading me down the path of but you get much more house, per, much lower cost per square foot buying an existing home than you do building your own sticks up, even with a production builder. Okay. okay. And you eliminate the uncertainty. You eliminate the time involved. You find a house you want. It's already stood the test of time. You buy it. And I much prefer you buy in an established neighborhood, not mm-hmm. one that has a lot of vacant lots, because what can happen is if the market turns, and this is what happened so much earlier this decade, you may be sitting in a house of X price point, and then the lots end up selling to a builder who builds houses at X minus 50%, and you're Mm -hmm. just killed on the comps. Right, and there's no guarantee that they would do something different than that, right? I mean, they Exactly right. Exactly right. If If your wife... Instead of you uh, having this argument with her, see if you can get your wife to call me and I'll as calmly as I can tell her why buying an existing home, a used home, is a much better idea for your wallet and your sanity as a couple than building a new home. I might not be able to convince her, though. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Joni's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joni. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Joni, you're going on a cruise. Uh, yes, I am. You a excited? Cruise. I'm very excited. Good. It's been, it's been a long time. Time. Long time, good long tramp, uh, trip that's been well-deserved. So um, my husband and I are uh, going to leave in about a month, and uh, we have to check in on our ship. And I came across a question about a credit card, and it's asking me um, which way do I want to have it charged either um, I'm assuming the country of origin um, that it's happening or um, at the time of the transaction. I, I don't understand it, but I it stumped me. Here I'm moving along and it's... So is which... it uh, generally the question I get in this area with with any merchant, what countries you're cruising? Um, we're leaving out of Spain, Barcelona, uh, okay. and then we will be going to two ports in Italy and four in Greece. And well, what a fun Malta. trip you're going on. All right, so they yeah. probably want to know if you want them to convert the charges into dollars or in euros. Is, is it a question, something like that? It's, um, it, well, there's some kind of fee that they will charge, and um, I didn't know which was the the better of the two. All right. So generally, so if you if you do in host country, which would be euros, it's usually a better deal for you than if they clear charges and convert them to dollars themselves and post to a credit card in dollars because they'll charge you a currency transaction fee, which is not at all favorable to you. Now you've right. got a month, so something I want you to do before you go is I want you to check with the credit cards you have already and see if you have a card that does not charge foreign currency transaction fees. And there are many now that don't charge foreign currency transaction fees. Okay. And, And that's what you want to use. And you have enough time before you go that if you don't have any credit card that uh, is zero on foreign currency transaction fees, you have time to get one this was something pioneered by Capital One, but now most issuers offer at least a handful of credit card options that don't charge foreign currency transaction fees. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark, our podcast and radio show are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. 
Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiaz, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bassanetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com, thanks to Sally McDonald, and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff, and their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227, and this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.